God bless you all. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share on such an important occasion. My name, like he said, is Raul Edwin Reyes Ocasio Castañeda Diaz Rivera Melendez de San Juan. But you can call me what my mom calls me, Junior. Um, we are here today. Uh, I've been invited specifically because of the specific time of the year, actually. Because in January 22nd of 1972, our Supreme Court made a decision that's known as the Roe versus Wade decision. In that decision, the Supreme Court found that children in the womb were not persons as defined by the Constitution. And since they weren't persons, that abortion would be allowed throughout the land. So that's why we call this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, because we remember that, that there is sanctity of human life, regardless of what the Supreme Court has said. And we acknowledge, we, we gather together every uh, this time of year to remember the many children who aren't here with us because of that decision. So uh, let's go ahead and, and pray before we get started. Father, we acknowledge, Father, that you came to give us life and that more abundantly, Father. We acknowledge that all life comes from you and that every, uh, the reason why we are worthy, Father, is because of you, not because of who we are or what we've done or the quality of our life, but because we are made in your image. And so we gather together as do believers all over this nation, Father, to acknowledge you to glorify you and to acknowledge that we are made in your image and to thank you for the life that you have given us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, it has been said that I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. It has been said that I am a French fry short of a Happy Meal because way back when, when I first started, I, I started actually uh, doing this work with my wife in 1983. Back then, I thought, Roe versus Wade was two different ways of coming ashore, you know. It, it takes a second. Uh. <laughs> but then, you know, since then, I, you know, like I said, I, I've learned a lot about it. I, actually, I've taught on this subject uh, all over the world to about 30 different countries. I've run uh, many ministries like the one that we're going to be sharing with you, which is one right here where we share in the parking lot, uh, the Choices Pregnancy Center. So I have learned so much about uh, what uh, has happened as we've turned our back on God. And the verse that we're looking at today, I'm going to be expounding upon that, uh, it comes from Luke 10, 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And we're going to learn what does that mean to go and do likewise. That's, that's a powerful statement. But I, I want to tell you that we are going to be talking about abortion. Not a whole lot in detail. We're going to be talking about the, the philosophy and, 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 and the, the word of God's response to that which is that we are not worthless we are made in god's image but i, I want to share this okay uh, it, it's it's unlikely that in any church in the united states there isn't someone who hasn't been impacted by the issue of abortion in fact it's very likely that many of us a third of us a half of us have been impacted it means that maybe one of us got involved in a relationship where someone was pregnant and we walked away and, and abandoned that relationship. It may mean that one of us was in a situation where we had been abandoned 
and felt ourselves in a situation where we didn't know what to do but have an abortion. It may mean that one of us may have encouraged someone to have an abortion. And, and when someone has had that kind of experience, it's not untypical or atypical that in a day like today, this is the last place you want to be. You don't want to hear this subject because so often you feel so bad about it. And I just want you to know that that's not what this is about. I'm not here to beat up on anybody. There isn't any sin. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. You know, I, I used to be in counseling rooms with women who'd done some, some difficult things in their life, and I thought, what possible right do I have to point a finger with my life and my history? We all have a history. We're all wounded. But we're not worthless. The, the point is, it doesn't matter what you've done. The most heinous crime, the most unbelievable act, the, the hugest act in history was paid for that, paid for that. God came, became flesh, and he said, whatever you've done, I'm paying the price. There's nothing you can do to pay for the price, but I can, and I have. And all you have to do is accept that. So please, as we, as we share and whenever I share, and I, like I said, I've shared in countries all over the world. Every time I share, I'm like, you know, this is, this is not for you. This is for us. It's for me. Anything that we share, it's truth. If it's truth, it's got to be truth for me. So when I'm sharing from the Word of God, I'm being convicted. I'm being encouraged. I'm being exhorted, just like all of us are. So please, this is not about pointing a finger at a person because of an act they may have done, but it's about pointing ourselves towards Christ and the mercy and love and forgiveness that we can only find there. That's what this is about. So the sanctity of human life. I mean, we hear that a lot, but I don't believe we understand what it means. I've been all over the world, and, and people might say, I'm pro-life, but. But in this situation, you know, my daughter has to have an abortion. Or in this situation, you know, this person is not worthy of living. You know, I've been all over the world. The hoodoos killed the Tutsis because... One was darker than the other. You know, we just find excuses to minimize other people's life. So what, where do we get the idea of, of the sanctity of human life? Well, it's based on the fact that we are made in the image of God. And, 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 and we say that a lot, right? Just think about that. We are made in the image of God. Do you understand what that means? It's amazing. The concept that all human life is sacred and made in the image of God is rooted in the Bible, which is the Word of God. So we began to understand the sanctity of human life in Genesis, right? Right in the very beginning, 127. So God created man, it says, in the image of God, Latin, imago Dei, imago Dei, in his own image. That's just amazing. So God created man in his own own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them the the hebrew root word for, for the latin for image of god is imago dei it means image shadow a, a reflection a likeness of god you are a reflection of the character and the attributes of god <laughs> man was given life by god who breathed life directly into us he didn't do that for anything else he created just us the hebrew word for breath neshima is also found in job 33 4 where it says the breath of the almighty gives me life 
we don't have a lot to be proud for, but that's something, that's, that's what we should be proud, that we are made in the image of God. His breath gives us life. We are not an accident. Whether you were planned or unplanned by your parents, you were planned and known by God. <laughs> just, it just blows me away. It's God himself who gave us life. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, long before God laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Long before, long before he ever started creating the earth and the solar systems and the universe, he had you in mind. He had me in mind. And settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Made in the image of God. It means that we are unique beings. We reflect the attributes of God himself. Everything that's good that we do is a reflection of our Father. Whenever we do something amazingly great, it's a reflection of God. Because we, we reflect him intellectually, emotionally, morally, and spiritually. Every virtuous, every virtuous character trait we possess is, is a reflection of God's character trait. His love, his faithfulness, Justice, righteousness, patience, kindness, humility, forgiveness, mercy, grace, right? Those are all things that we have. It's a reflection of our Father and His attributes. It is the fact that all human beings are made in the image of God that leads to the understanding then that we are responsible to take care of of and provide for our brothers and sisters okay because we started with okay yeah i'm made in the image of god i have all these attributes and guess what so do all of you so does every single person on this earth starting at the first instant of conception so we are responsible to take care of and provide for our brothers and sisters especially those who are weak who are vulnerable who are disenfranchised because they don't have anyone to speak up for them. So we learn about this in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it's, it goes like this. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, we, we know something about lawyers, right, is that they never ask a question unless they already know the answer. That's the thing about lawyers, right? When, they, when you're in a court, say, like, I'm going to ask you a question. I have you on trial. I'm not going to ask you unless I know what you're going to say. Because then I can kind of make it go the way I want it to go. And that's what, this, that's what this person was doing. He was testing Jesus. So he asked, teacher, I can almost hear him being a little condescending, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, <laughs> what do you think he answered with? A question, right? He just answers a question. What's written in the law? He said, you're the expert, right? You tell me you're, so what is this written in the law? Which I wrote, by the way, Jesus is saying, right? He says, what do you read there, Jesus said. He said, he answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Powerful. Jesus told him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But that wasn't enough for the, uh, the expert in the law. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we have to understand 
that he had something in mind because Jews had a very narrow definition of who a neighbor was. A neighbor was a Jew. So if you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jew, if you were a Samaritan, you were not a neighbor. So it's like he's trying to trap Jesus. It says, the word says, after careful consideration. So Jesus sat and thought about this. And again, he said, I'm not just going to answer you, uh, your question. I'm going to answer a much deeper question. And I'm going to do it by telling you a story. So Jesus says, uh, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of bandits. They stripped him. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was traveling along that road. When he saw the man, he went by the other side. Similarly, a descendant of Levi came to that place. When he, he saw the man, he also went by the other side. I don't want to go near this guy. I'm going to go around him. You ever see somebody who's like maybe homeless and they're on the ground and people are just walking around them? They don't want to go clear near them? what these people were doing but as he was traveling alone a Samaritan came across the man when the Samaritan saw him he was moved with compassion which means really he just he probably just sat there and broke down and cried he just broke his heart he saw a person had been beaten wounded he's almost dead and he thought he just felt so bad for this person he's just emotionally moved he, one, went to him, and two, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then three, he put him on his own animal. And four, he brought him to an inn. And five, he told the innkeeper, take good care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. How much do you make in a day? Take, multiply that by two. And that's how much he gave to the innkeeper. He, said, he gave them to the innkeeper said, take good care of him. If you spend more than that, I'll repay you when I come back. I mean, it's like he's really going the extra mile. And then Jesus says, of these three men, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the bandits? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, which is our verse for today, go and do likewise. Now, in this statement, Jesus answered a much deeper question than who is my neighbor? That's what he asked. He said, who is my neighbor? He answered, how do you act like a neighbor? How do you be a neighbor? That's what he answered. How do you put the sanctity of human life into action? If we believe that everyone is made in the image of God, then how should we act? Jesus said, being moved to compassion, which means to act. When we see someone in need, the Jews, when defining the word neighbor, again, had a very narrow interpretation. It excluded Samaritans, but Jesus made the Samaritan the hero in this story. Jews would would walk around any, anywhere where there was a Samaritan. They would walk around the city where the Samaritans lived. They didn't want to become contaminated. 
Jesus tells a story and makes the Samaritan the hero. It was the Samaritan who showed mercy. It was the Samaritan who, when he saw injustice, was moved to compassion. It was the Samaritan who was a neighbor to the injured Jew. And by making the Samaritan the neighbor, Jesus was claiming that this man who was devalued by Jews was a person worthy of honor, respect, and love. It would be equivalent in our day and age to make uh, the hero in the story an undocumented dreamer where everyone else is saying, oh, they're undocumented, they shouldn't be here. And Jesus says, I'm going to make him the hero of the story. The first step in dehumanizing a person is diminishing their worth. That is what Jews did with the Samaritans. In our country, we dehumanized people from Africa. In fact, the Supreme Court passed a law that said people from Africa are only worth three-fifths of a person. They're, they're not a whole person. They're only three-fifths of a person. And then, of course, we enslaved them and mistreated them and often killed people of, from Africa. During World War II, Germans dehumanized Jews and then incarcerated them and ultimately massacred them. And today, Roe versus Wade has stated that a baby in the womb is not a person thereby dehumanizing all preborn people. You and I, there isn't a person on earth that didn't start in their mother's womb. Roe versus Wade says you were not a person then. And since you were not a person, you are not protected by the laws of this country. And since you are not protected by the laws of this country, we have nothing to say about abortions. You can have an abortion in this country all the way up to and including the day you're about to be born with some certain exceptions, but very little. Today, Roe versus Wade has stated a person is not a womb. Is not a, a baby in a womb is not a person. And the result has been, in our country and in the world, the greatest slaughter of innocent human life ever known. Not in recorded history, in human life ever known. There has never been a greater slaughter than what's going on right now against human beings. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus showed us what it is to be a neighbor. He called the Samaritan the hero, the neighbor who provides for the injured Jew. Jesus is saying that everyone is a neighbor, including those we marginalize and consider not fully people. That includes the child in the womb. He's a neighbor. If he is weak, if he is vulnerable, just like the Jew was who had been beaten up, it's our job to provide. It's our, our job to care. It's our job to be moved to compassion and do something about it. The Levi and the priest walked around the injured man. They didn't see it as their job to get involved. Maybe, maybe what happened was a, not a good thing. Maybe it's not good that he got beat up, but it's really none of my business. You know? And I got places to go. You know, if I get involved, I might get late. Hey, if I get involved, you know, it might take my time. I might get blood on me. I might get my hands dirty. Look what it took the Samaritan. It took him time. He had to bind him and wound him, put him on his, on his, on his whatever it was, camel or whatever it was, donkey, take him to an inn, pay him. It took time. He had to get involved. I don't want to do that, you know. I'm pro-life, but, you know, I'm against, I'm pro-life, but, you know, sometimes, you know, something happens, you know, a woman has to do what a woman has to do. And, you know, say, hey, maybe it's not even my child. Who am I to say? 
you know, why should I get involved? We say we're pro-life with our lips. Getting involved costs you something. It costs us. See, their response reminds me of a story that happened again in World War II. It was a man named Penny. He lived in Germany, in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. He considered, he considered himself a Christian. He, he attended church since he was a young boy. His church heard the stories about what's happening, but like most people uh, in, in their country, they tried to distance themselves from the reality of what was taking place. And, and you know, and they, well, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? You know, the Nazis are in control. What can we do about it? He says, this is what he says as a quote, a railroad track ran behind our small church. And each Sunday morning, we would hear the whistle from the distance and then the, the clacking of the wheels as it got closer and closer. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by behind our church. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry as, out as they passed our church, save us, save us. He said it was terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time they would, the whistle would blow, and we decided that the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries we were hearing was to start singing our hymns. So by the time the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our lungs, just singing those hymns. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years passed, and no one talks about it much anymore, but I, I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for God, God, crying out for help. God, forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. There is a new Holocaust going on. It's the greatest killing of innocent human life in all of history. For over, at a conservative number, 42 million innocent preborn babies are killed every year. Every year. That's 42 million women who are wounded, who are harmed. That's 42 million men who uh, often have abandoned their role as protectors and defenders. 42 million pot potential families. And then all 42 million families who would have had children who would have had children. We, we are destroying our legacy. We are destroying our future. But there is something we can do about it this time. We can be a neighbor to someone in need. See, today men and women are often selfish about their sexuality and careless about the consequences of their actions. When the inevitable pregnancy results from their behavior, their desire to be happy apart from God drives them to commit an unthinkable act, the taking of a life of an innocent child, their own son or daughter, made in the image of God while still in its mother's womb. Fathers are supposed to die 
for their children, not the other way around. Men especially are guilty of misusing their sexuality and abandoning women once they find that the woman is pregnant with their child. As men, we should behave responsibly towards women. We should defend, protect, and help a woman facing an unplanned pregnancy so that she can choose life for her baby and a better life for herself. Men and women should make Christ-honoring decisions regarding their sexuality so that they never have to face the difficulty of an unplanned pregnancy. And we as Christians bear guilt of being mostly silent while this Holocaust goes on. As the greatest Holocaust in the history of the world occurs daily in our community, right? All over Phoenix, all over Arizona, all over the United States, in every state and every nation. Like the Levite and the priest, we tend to ignore the broken, the bruised, the marginalized. We too tend to walk around those who are wounded and say, it's really, what can I do about it? It's really not my business, what can I do? Those who need our help, our involvement, our compassion are those who can't speak up for themselves. But too often we too sing a little louder. We get involved in what we're doing so that we don't have to think about that. Instead, we should be doing what? Reflecting God's nature in whose image we're made. His nature of love, his nature of mercy, his nature of being a life giver, and his nature of defending the defenseless. Precisely how can we help a woman at the point of making a life and death decision? And that's a, that's a legitimate question. What can I do? And, and that, I read a book by philosopher Francis Schaeffer 33, 34 years ago, and I was a young Christian man, and, and I, I wanted to be an honoring man of God, and I wanted to be a good husband and a good father, and I found out that babies, just like the one that my wife was carrying, because we have five children, you know, and she was carrying our first child, and the babies just like ours were being killed. So what was the difference between my baby in my wife and the other babies. There was no difference. There was no difference. And I thought, how can I say I'm a man of God and stand by silently and say nothing while these children are being destroyed? I was a fraud. And I cried out to God and I, I repented and I was brokenhearted. It was like a spirit had gone through my heart. I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do. But God, you know. And I don't want to be silent anymore. I want to respond. Show me how. And soon after that, my wife and I helped start a crisis pregnancy center. And that's one way that we can all, all of us, be involved. Crisis pregnancy centers are really one of God's modern-day miracles. There's like 2,300 of them in the United States because God cares so much about these women. He cares so much about their children, but he cares about them. He hasn't let their cries go unnoticed. And so all over the United States, he's raised up ministries where people just like me and you, just simple Christians who have a heart of compassion, who want to make a difference, go and are they're ready to meet and help a woman who is in a, a difficult pregnancy and help her make decisions that will lead for, to life for herself and for her child. And you guys have one of the most unusual churches Maybe the most unusual church in the entire country. Because you guys share a parking lot 
with one of those pregnancy centers. And I don't know of any other church that I've ever spoken. I've spoken to hundreds of churches. I don't know of any church that shares a parking lot with a pregnancy center. So when we talk about what can we do, I'm like, I know. I know exactly what you can do. But the answer is, is, is a couple of feet away. You know? the, the, the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Greater Phoenix is a nonprofit, life-affirming ministry whose mission is to promote and defend the sanctity of human life, biblical sexual integrity, marital fidelity, and, and, we, and by establishing life-affirming ministries. And, and we also are here to serve the church and through the church to transform the culture, to restore the value of the sanctity of life. At, at CPC, we believe in sharing the love of Christ in word and in deed, joining God in his process, co-laboring with him to help, people, to help move people from a crisis to reconciliation, from reconciliation to restoration, from restoration to a godly destiny. And we do have some amazing videos of women telling the story about how they came in and what amazing difficulty their life was and how they were helped by a person just like you who said, you know, you're not alone. There's a God who knew you before the foundations of the earth and he knows your baby and we love you and we'll walk through you. And then the story of how their life was transformed and now how they're walking with the Lord and how they are now living their godly destiny. Just like somebody else I think think of, all of us, right? I mean, most of us can talk and think about our life and what it was like and what happened and how we were transformed and what God has done. It's, it's somebody love to hear my story. It's a doozy. <laughs> God changed and healed and restored me from a life of drugs and sexual immorality and just complete selfishness. And, and I wasn't worthy. I'm not worthy to be standing in front of you and be sharing any of this. But God chose me. He chose this broken, wounded person. Put him back together and said, I'm going to have you speak on my behalf. I'm like, I'm, I'm the least likely person to be standing before you. The, the Pregnancy Center, Choices, is one of the largest, most comprehensive pregnancy service, services in the nation. We have four centers, one in Phoenix, Tempe, and Glendale, and one here. We provide, all of our services are free. We provide individualized counseling uh, to men, women, and families. Um, we have trained staff and volunteer. Most, most of the staff is volunteer support teams. And they offer factual information regarding inform, uh, abortion, pregnancy, the risks, the alternatives, uh, and, the, and the, the life-saving choices that are available to them. Um, they receive tools to help them build healthy relationships. They have life-saving information that motivates them to reconsider their sexual attitudes. In other words, even making these decisions that, that could lead to an unplanned pregnancy, we encourage them to make decisions that will keep them from having an unplanned pregnancy and waiting till they're married. We, we give them uh, information about the sexually transmitted diseases. We have medical staff. I mean, it's really uh, interesting. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity because Sharon is here, and Sharon is the director of Choices Pregnancy Center, and, and uh, anyone that would like to, we're going to just have a quick tour. We're just going to walk across the street and check it out. And so if, you, if you'd like to have, have a, you know, take a couple of minutes out of your time this morning and see an amazing place where God is working and through people just like me and you, we're going to have that opportunity. We'd like you to, sh would you bring up a bottle, please, uh, Sharon? Uh, we'd like you to consider partnering with us in this mission. Um, 
you'll certainly find out more about it. You're going to see how we work with volunteers, client care, peer counseling, medical services, baby boutique. Really, it's really amazing. Uh, uh, we have ministered to, last year we had over 13,000 client visits. 13,000. That's really more than any other pregnancy center in the United States has seen. We need people just like you who desire to co-labor with us in this mission of saving lives and protecting uh, futures. We also have a table in the back, and we have some information there. So if you'd like to just find out a little bit more about it, and Sharon will be here. And, uh, at the end, Sharon's going to take a group across, and I'm going to stand by the table. But if you have any specific questions, Sharon is the best person to ask because she is uh, right there at the front lines as our center director. Um, we also have these, and this is a way that you can get involved to help us. Everything we do is, is free, but it costs. <laughs> it costs the body of Christ. It doesn't cost the woman that comes in. One of the ways that we help raise funds, we have some baby bottles. We have a bunch out there. Would you mind taking one of these home and over the next month or so, put some nickels in there and dimes and quarters and maybe even a check. And then you can bring it back. You can bring it back to Pastor Chris, or you can just walk, walk right across. But we're not really open on Sunday, so you can, you, know, you can bring it here, and then Sharon can come over, and we can work that out. But bottles for babies. One easy way that we can all make a difference. So transformation through a relationship with Jesus Christ and defending the sanctity of human life are inseparable. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and defending the sanctity of human life are inseparable. This isn't just an issue. Oh, it's the abortion issue. No, this isn't an issue. This is core. It's exactly what Pastor Chris said. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. Defending a child in the womb is not an issue. It is absolutely core to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I feel that every one of us, whatever we've been called to do to help the poor, or help immigrants, or help you know, people who are alcoholics, whatever it is we're called, I think all of us have a necessity to be speaking out on behalf of those who can't speak out for themselves. Children in the womb. This, this understanding leads us into a new awakening about our Creator and His greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. In closing, when you see justice being done to the weak, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the least of these, remember these two sentences. Remember these two sentences. And it starts with a child from the first instant of conception and it goes to the oldest person laying in a bed who is just moments away from dying. There goes one made in the image of God. And just remember what that means. And the second thing is, there goes one for whom Christ died. How much value does that give a person? In your mind, in my mind, there goes one made in the image of God. There goes one for whom Christ died. It's like, we should say that with awe. You know what I'm saying? Like with awe. There goes one made in the image of God. There goes one for whom Christ died. 
And then we should act accordingly. These two truths mark every human life as sacred, as holy, as precious. Precious. That child in the womb is precious. Remember those words, then respond. Like the good Samaritan, be moved with compassion. Have mercy. Remember what the good Samaritan did. And then like Jesus said, go and do likewise.